You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we are concluding a series called The Table, and I'm really excited about this series. And honestly, if, you, if you've missed any of it, you can catch up online at any time. It's on the website. It's on our podcast. And we've just been talking about coming around the table together, and there's something special about coming around a table and meeting together. It's a place where we meet together, where we have dinner together, where we have company, where we have family. It's such an important thing. And we actually talked about, like, back in the day years ago that when people would design Design houses, like every room was so compartmentalized, right? There was like a formal living room, a formal dining room, and then the, the casual space, right? Everything was divided up. And now when people build homes, it's like we don't even want a wall. We want to be able to come in the door and see every single square foot of the room, right? We want to be able to come together and gather. We don't want anything to hinder people being able to come together and gather together. And so we've been talking about gathering together at the table as a church. And as I was preparing for this this week, I wanted to share a story with you about coming together that was at a table that kind of be like, a little lighthearted, a little humorous, a little funny. And so I, as often I'll do, I asked Christy, my wife, I said, hey, can you think of any funny stories, you know, about the dining room table or about us being out eating or, you know, preparing food or cooking fails or whatever, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe something that you messed up that you tried to cook and it was kind of funny. And so that's not what she thought of immediately. As soon as I asked that question, wasn't even done asking her the question. And she says one word, or I don't know if it's two, pork chop. Is that one or two words? Is that two words? Anyway, she says pork chop and then proceeds to laugh where the point where she is crying, tears are coming down her face. Then it's all she says, just pork chop. And so then I lose it. I'm laughing. Our girls are like, what is so funny about the pork chop? Well, let me tell you what's so funny about the pork chop. Um, Before we had any kids... Um, before we even had Braylon, this is probably 11, 12 years ago now, we had recently relocated to Indiana, where Christy's family is from, and she had got a job there, and some one of her coworkers invited her over. Didn't know these people. She hardly knew these people. She just started working with them. And so they were really gracious, invited us in their home. We sat around the table together, right? And they had prepared pork chops, okay? And so we're sitting there, and we're eating. And as I'm eating this pork chop and chewing it up, This pork chop was so dry, like another level dry. I have never had this happen in my entire life before or since. I could not swallow it. I couldn't swallow it. I'm like drinking stuff. It won't go down. I'm kind of gagging like that gag reflex. And I'm just stuck masticating on this pork chop in my mouth, okay? Christy notices like something's not right, right, during this dinner. And she looks over at me like, why aren't you talking? And I'm just looking at everyone like, "Mm mm-hmm. Like, not putting anything else in my mouth for like a good five minutes, right? This is going on. And I'm like having nightmare. I'm like just terror. Like, what am I going to do? I'm trying to drink water. I can't swallow this. I can't talk. So I do what any person would do in this moment. I pack the pork chop in my cheeks like a chipmunk, right? And I, I like have it, you know, and I'm like trying to make it not conspicuous. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, can you tell me where your bathroom is? You know, as I've like pork chop like shoved in the side of my mouth. I thought I did a good job with it. Apparently I didn't. So they tell me I get up and leave while this pork chop is in 
in my mouth. I go to the bathroom and I spit it out, flush it like I used the bathroom and I came back down, sat down, didn't eat any more of that pork chop. Of course they knew what was happening the entire time, right? And Christy just thinks it's the funniest thing ever. At that time, it wasn't funny to me at all. And I don't know, has anyone ever had that happen where you just like, you can't swallow it. It was just so dry. And it was just such a funny moment doing that and just trying to like meeting people for the first time. There's that social pressure. You want to put a good foot forward, right? And then you're just like spitting out the person's pork chop that they just made for you, right? It's a terrible situation. Hopefully you never have that happen. It was just such a horrible thing. And sometimes when we come around the table, funny things happen, right? Sometimes great memories are born. Sometimes your wife can just throw out the one word pork chop and you're just like in tears laughing about it. That's the power of coming around the table together. And as we've been talking about the table, we've been talking about what it looks like to be the table as the church. That when we come together at the table, we, we've talked about this in our first week about the people who come and sit around the table. That the table is full of unlikely people. The table is full of people who may not always see eye to eye on the same things. They might believe different things even politically. They may be coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of them may be young. Some may be single. Some might be single again. Some might be retirees, right? That the table is full of people at the church. The table should be full of people who are maybe unlikely to be at that table together. And that's such an amazing and such an awesome thing. Then we talked about what the table should be full of because yes, when you're getting together as family, you want that table full of food, right? But when we come together as a church, we want that table full of opportunities for people to connect with God. Opportunities to reconcile the relationship with God. Maybe for the first time to come to a relationship with him. Maybe to come back to him. Maybe there's reconciliation in a relationship and a marriage with another person. Maybe there's opportunity for ministry, or maybe at this table there's opportunity for people to go public in their faith with water baptism, or people to come to a small group and have a family, a group of people where they can open up and be honest and share about their past, their hurts, their struggles, and have some people who can love them and talk to them and be there for them and be a support at this table. See, at this table, we believe that there's ministry to kids and students and teenagers and, and, and even little ones that they can come to know that there's a God that loves them, that cares for them, that has a plan for them, who wants nothing the more than just to have a relationship with them. We believe that's what this table should be full of, that and so much more. See, and we said this in the first week, that God wants people at this table because God wants people full. God wants people to experience him. He wants to experience what it's like to be in relationship with others. And we said the only way that this table can be full is if we give and if we give like crazy. That it requires generosity. That we've got to give in order for people to come to the table. In order to be those experiences, it takes someone giving and someone to be generous. We talked about this in the first week, and I don't have time to unpack all of it, but we talked about two words that we hear in church often when it comes to giving. We talked about offering, and we talked about tithes. We talked about offering, and offering is simply when God moves on our heart, and we're moved, and we see a need, and we want to give. And often, this is the first way that we connect to God through giving is just through an offering. Maybe we see something, a need, we want to give to it, or like, hey, I like what this church is doing, or my kid likes coming here, so we, we give an offering because we believe in it. Our heart is moved. Then we talked about the tithe tithe, which is just in, in, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is just simply a, a number meaning. It means the tenth. And it also refers to the first fruits or the first tenth that God asks us to give back to him. And we said this verse in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And we talked about that when we give, when we tithe, when we are generous, when we give those offerings, that there's an opportunity to come to sit at this table together. 
And then sometimes that can become difficult because it could become like, oh, is church just about money? Are they really just after our money? And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. And we see here in Matthew 23, 23, that Jesus says this. He says, yes, yes you should tithe. And the, the irony here is he's talking to some people who feel like they're really religious. They kind of want to be like, hey, Jesus, like we've got it going on. Look, we are tithing, we're giving. And he's like, hey, that's great that you're doing that, but is your heart in the right place? Because he says you shouldn't leave the more important things undone either. So it's not just simply about checking a box. It's not just simply about doing these things, but it's really about where our heart is when we do it. And it really comes down trusting God. Last week, we talked about this. We said that when it comes to giving and it comes to setting and preparing a table at the church, we said that you are either an obstacle or a conduit. Every single one of us individually and as a church, we can be an obstacle. We can make it difficult for people to come and experience the love of God, or we can be a conduit. We can enable that to happen. We can make that our mission, our focus, our vision. Instead of making an exclusive table for people to sit around, we make it an inclusive table to make it easy for people to come around and experience the love of God, that we have a heart and a mission to reach people who no one is reaching. And we said this last week, to reach no, the ones that no one is reaching will have to do what no one is doing. And that starts with giving. That starts with giving. See, to make a larger table, to make a space for people to sit at the table, for the ministry and the experiences to be at the table, it takes someone being generous, um, us coming together collectively being generous, and not only with our giving, it requires generosity also in our serving. See, if we just have someone giving and we have someone to provide the things at the table, but we don't have someone to seat the table, we don't have someone to put the table and the chairs out to bring the food and set it at the table, then it doesn't matter how generous we are with our financial giving. It also requires being generous with our time and serving. And that's why we talk about, and you hear us all the time, talk about ways to serve here at Treeline, how you can go through growth track and discover some of the ways that God's wired you and gifted you. And maybe you're in a season, we talked about this in week one, that it doesn't have to be about guilt. It's not about obligation. It's not like God's looking down at you, just waiting, being like, hey, I told you to give, you need to be generous. No, it's about starting and being faithful where you can. Maybe you feel incredibly overwhelmed when you hear start talking about like a tenth. Like, Brian, that's crazy. How could I ever begin to do that? Maybe it's just starting where you can and being faithful there and trusting God for the increase and just taking those steps of faith. And maybe it's even seeing some ways of being like, hey, I can't give as much as I would like to in my heart. I can't be as generously financially as I would love to be, but I can be generous with my time and I can serve and I can help people feel comfortable and welcomed and make a space for them at the table. But as we continue to talk about giving, I want to share a verse for us in Proverbs 3.9 from the Amplified Version of the Bible, which is really interesting. And it says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. And you can see in the parentheses there, the Amplified Version of the Bible does a really great job of helping us understand what it's saying. It's saying of our income. So honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your income. See, this is where we were talking about that tithe that we, we give, that we're generous, that God asks us to return back to him, that we're trusting him with the first tenth, saying, God, I trust that I can do more with the 90 than I could do with 100 because I trust you and I'm putting you first in my life with my finances. And there is a blessing that comes from that. You can see continued in Proverbs 3 through 9, and then verse 10, it says this, then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
See, friends, there absolutely is a principle of biblical blessing that when we give and when we are generous, that God will bless us. Yes, that is true. Matter of fact, the only place that God ever says you should test me in this is actually in Malachi. He says, hey, go ahead and give. Give that tenth tithe and, and trust, test me. See if I will not pour out the blessing. Test me in this. Go ahead. See if I will not be faithful and say, yes, God, I believe God will bless us financially. But I think if we make it only just about financial blessing, honestly, I think we cheapen it a little bit. Because I think God's blessing is so much more than just financial blessing. I mean, yes, that's great. And yes, we've experienced in our own lives. I've seen that in my family as we've been faithful to give and to tithe over and over and over again. I could share the stories of God has blessed us, yes, in financial areas of our life, but yes, in other areas of our life too. Because here's what we say here. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Matter of fact, we want God's best for you. And the way that you can experience God's best in your life is to put him first in every single aspect of your life. And that includes trusting him with our finances. But friends, I think it's so much more than just the blessing. I think it's so much more than what we can get out of it. Matter of fact, I think if we're just giving for what God can do for us, I think that's probably not the right heart and the not, right, not the right motivation. See, as we took our offering today, something that we really like to point out is that giving is truly a form of worship. Just like singing a song to God and proclaiming his goodness and what he's done in our lives, giving back to him and giving financially to build the kingdom of God is an act of worship. And I believe this is true because there's something that I want to kind of highlight today, the difference between or what happens in the reveal and then the response. The reveal and the response. And what does that mean? Well, see, when something is revealed to us, when we understand the reveal, which is what God has done for us, and what has God done, what has been revealed to us as Christ followers? That God created us, that he set us up to have relationship with him, that sin entered the world, it ruined everything, it messed everything up, but God in his infinite goodness had a plan to redeem everything. Because when sin entered the world, all was lost, everything was messed up, but God said, you know what? I've got a plan. And he sent his son, Jesus, and he gave his life and paid the price, paid for our sins, my sins, your sins, our mistakes, our screw-ups. And when we understand how good God is, when it's been revealed to us, the depths and the amazingness of his love, when that is revealed to us, the response then is worship. See, when it is revealed to us what God has done, who he is, that he is a personal savior, that he's not some distant God in a million miles away in some faraway galaxy, but he's a personal God that we can have a relationship. The more we understand that, the more it is revealed to us, the response that happens is worship. I have a little video that I want to share with us today that I think will help us out with this. Does anyone remember the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Did anyone watch that? I mean, come on, somebody. I was putting this video together this week, and I found out, some of you are going to love this, they're bringing the show back. It's coming back in February. Yeah, that's right. I know some of you are like, well, this is worth the admission of church today. Murder Tree and Home Edition's coming back. Come on, somebody. You don't want to miss church. It's going to be good. And so, they, and so I don't know if you remember the show, but the biggest deal, and even when they would start the show at the beginning, they would just start with the chant. Like the logo would come up, and what did they start chanting right at the very beginning? Move that bus. Move that bus, right? That's what it was all about. They got to that moment where there was that move that bus moment. So I have an opportunity for us to take a look at the reveal and the response. Take a look at this video. You know what to say, sir? 
When I saw that house, I was jumping and hollering and screaming. It is just one of those moments where you got to say, break free and be a kid. <laughs> Don't you love that? The reveal and the response. See, friends, that is worship. And see, if we can get excited and cheer and scream and go nuts over a new house, when that is the reveal, how much more when we understand what has been revealed to us, that God loves us, that he has a plan for our lives, that he doesn't hold our past against us, that he has a future and a plan and a hope for us. When we begin to understand who God is and what he has done, when he has revealed that to us, our response is to worship. I love the lady in the end in the video there that she was dancing like pretty much her clothes are like coming up and everything. And it just reminded me like King David, when he would worship God, like they said he literally danced out of his clothes in the street. And matter of fact, his wife got mad at him for it. That's how you know the Bible's true because it puts that detail in there like, excuse me, King David, you need to be a little more dignified. You know what David said? I'll be more undignified than this. I danced in my underwear. Next time I'm going buck, right? I don't know what he said, but that's what he was like. I'm in this. I'm going to worship because he understood who God was. He had a deep understanding, a revelation of who God was to him. And because of that, his response was to worship. And so I want to take a moment and talk about how our response to God, if giving is truly an act of worship, then when we understand who God is, what he has done for us, our response is to worship and to be generous. Hebrews 13, 13 and 16 says this, so let us go out to him and bear the disgrace he bore. Speaking about Jesus, the grace he bore, he went to the death on a cross. He was beaten, he was betrayed. He went through all of this brutal torment and, and torture for our, for our sake so that we could come to relationship with him. It says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Man, what a response when we will see that one revealed. I think we're gonna get to the heavenly gate someday and we're gonna be standing there telling Peter, move that bus in the gates. And then we're like, ah! be amazing. Therefore, let us through Jesus a continual, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. I love in this passage that we get this understanding, the reveal, because of the grace that he bore, what? Because of what Jesus had done for us, that we can come to him and bring an offering to him, a continual what? Sacrifice of praise to God. See, sometimes it's those moments where you have that reveal and the bus moves and you see how God good, good God is. And maybe it was early in your faith and you came to understand who Jesus was, what God had done for you. And it was easy in that moment to worship and praise. But friends, sometimes we become a little bit astute in our relationship with God. We become professional Christians and it becomes, well, I don't really feel like worshiping God. I don't really have that motivation. And I think this is why they put this in here, that there is a sacrifice that pre pleases God. That sometimes it requires a sacrifice. We might not necessarily feel like it, but when it has been revealed to us who God is, what Jesus has done for us, our response is to worship. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this in the same vein. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
See, this is a reminder that worship is not just simply about coming to church. It's not just about singing a song. It's just not about a giving. But even this verse, we are encouraged to give God our body as a living sacrifice that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How? By not copying the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, friends, I believe that when we begin to understand that reveal and that response, that it is, goes so much beyond just giving financially. It goes so much beyond just coming and singing a couple of songs to him during on a Sunday service. When we understand what God has truly done, when the depths of that have been revealed to us, our response is to worship. See, when we talk about giving, we talk about generosity, we can't just stop and talk about that because that is not what God is simply after. He is after our hearts. He wants us. And and I believe this is true, this statement today, that the level of our worship is in direct proportion to our understanding of what God has done for us. Did you catch that? I'll read it one more time. The level of our worship is in direct proportion to our understanding of what God has done for us. See, the greater we understand, and this is why I think sometimes people who have come from like a really difficult past, who have gone through some really hard seasons of life, who really realize that they have messed up and they've done some terrible things, when they understand the goodness of our God and the plan that God has for their life, they just can't help but worship. I even think about right now in the news, the headlines about Kanye West releasing a gospel album and the most of the feedback from Christ followers are Christian, not a lot, but some have been like, well, what kind of way? and see, but I think this was somebody who had a reveal, who understood who God was, what God had done for him, and his response was, you know what, I got to live God and worship God in every avenue, and even my art and what I create, I'm going to sing about, I'm going to rap about a God, a Savior, Jesus, who loved me, who forgave me, even if people don't understand, because why? There was a reveal, and then there was a response. See, friends, and the greater our level of understanding of what God has done for us, the greater the level of our worship. That it's not obligation, that it's not guilt, that we don't, it's not that we have to. We're not just checking the boxes. Oh, I went to church today. I threw some money in the offering bucket today. Oh, I read a Bible verse. Today. No, it's not simply about that, but it's understanding that everything we do is an act of worship. It's putting God first. It's making him a priority. And the greater we understand what he has done, that he's forgiven us, that he has saved us, that he doesn't hold our past against us. It doesn't even matter what we think about us, that we can begin to understand that when we come to relationship with Jesus, he calls us son. He calls us daughter. He makes a space for us at this table. We don't deserve it. We can't earn his grace. We can't earn his mercy because why? We don't deserve it. We messed up. We sinned against him. He should give us punishment. We deserve to be separated from God, but God does two things. He shows us grace. He gives us that we don't deserve. He gives us his forgiveness and he shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, which is to be separated from him. And the greater we understand that, the greater the level of our worship. 
In this series, we've been talking about King David, and many of us know about David from his fame from David and Goliath. He was the shepherd boy who came in and slayed the giant. It's unbelievable. Takes a slingshot, a stone, knocks the giant out, comes up, chops his head off. It's good stuff. You should read the Bible. It gets a little gory, but it's real. It's awesome, and that's King David. And he becomes king, and before he becomes king, there's another king named Saul. And We've been talking about this story that Saul didn't want David to become king, even though God, that's who God had chose to be king. But then exactly what God God says will happen that Saul is wiped out. He dies. His whole family pretty much is killed. And one of David's best friends, his son, Jonathan, is also killed in the battle. And so what happens after David becomes king, he does the unthinkable. He's like, hey, I'm going to find somebody in Saul's family that I can show honor to, which seems a little ridiculous, right, to do when someone's been trying to hunt you down and kill you. But this is the heart that David has. And so he searches far and wide, and they find one guy named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is crippled from a young age. He is deformed. He is broken. David sends for him. He's like, I don't deserve a place at this table. Send someone else. You got the wrong guy. But David's like, nope, you're going to sit at my table every single day and you're going to eat with the king. And not only that, David said, I'm going to restore back to you all the inheritance that was yours. And we became to understand that David did that and that he made a space for him at the table. And many of us feel like Mephibosheth thinking that we don't have a space at this table, but we can rest assured that God has a space for each one of us at his table. And so there's another story about David that some things had gone wrong. The people had messed up. They had sinned against God. And at that time, Jesus hadn't come. He hadn't entered the story. And so for in order for them to ask for forgiveness, they had to do all these, um, really just thank God we didn't live in that time, right? They had to like sacrifice animals. Aren't you glad that we just come to church? We sing, we give, we're generous. Aren't you glad we're like, hey, someone go get the fatted calf. It's time to go to church. We're going to go slay it together. I mean, that'd be a little weird, right? But that's what they had to do. They actually had to perform animal sacrifice to ask for forgiveness, to bring a sacrifice to God for atonement, to cover the sin, the mistake, the mess up. That's what they would do. And so David is out to do this. He's going to build an altar so that he can bring a sacrifice before God. And so he's out and he's doing this and he sees the guy that he wants to buy the land from. And he comes up and David tells him, King David, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an altar. We're going to build this. We're going to have a sacrifice to God. And so the guy's like, whoa, you're King David. Here, you can just have this land. It's yours. Like, and matter of fact, here, you know, here's some extra livestock. Take these two and like, let your sacrifice go to God. Like, that's, that'll be amazing. But here's what David responses after the guy tells him to this as the king. David replies, he says, no, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Man, I love David. I mean, how easy would it have been just to play that king card, right? Oh, he's the king. He's just, well, of course, yes, I'm the king. I deserve it. I'd be honored. I'll take that. No, you know what David says? No, 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 no. I can't bring an offering before the Lord that has cost me nothing. How much of an offering is it? How much am I worshiping God if there was nothing that cost me in this? See, friends, I believe that we've got to take the posture and we've got to take the attitude and we've got to let our hearts align with David's here in this moment. Because true worship to God, when it has been revealed to us and we have the response that there will be a sacrifice and true worship will cost us something. And friends, if worship doesn't cost us something, then what of value and what worth is it? See, David knew something. I'm not going to bring a sacrifice to God. I'm not going to bring an offering to him that didn't cost me something. 
And the same is true with us today, that our worship, it will cost us something. But when your heart is in the right place, when it has been revealed to you who God is and what he has done, and our response is to worship him. David didn't come to him and be like, Psh, guess I'm going to have to buy this from you now. I know you offered it, but man, you know, I don't want, I'm, God better cost me something or God will be angry. But that is not David's heart. His heart was, this, I want it to cost me something. I want God to know that I mean this, that I'm in this, that I've got skin in the game, that I truly want to worship him. And see, when we understand that when we give and we give financially and we give sacrificially, yes, there will be a sacrifice. And yes, it will cost us something. But here's what you've got to catch is that God does not want your money. God doesn't need your money. He's God. I don't know if you noticed. He owns it all anyway. God is after your heart. He wants to be number one in every single area, every single aspect of your life. And that includes trusting him with your finances. And I know that can be so hard, but here's what I know to be true. There are two things most of the time that are the greatest indicator of what truly has our hearts. That's our time and that's our money, our calendar and the checkbook. That really shows where our priorities, what really matters to us. And if you don't believe that's true, take a look here in Matthew 6, 21. It says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now take a look in the Amplified Version of the Bible. I love this. This like punched me in the face this week as I was studying this. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart. And then this is what it emphasized. Your heart, your wishes, your desires, and then catch this. That on which your life centers will be also. Oh man. It was like a come to Jesus moment as I was reading this this week. Because if you think it's easy for me to just come up here and say these things, I'm learning this. God is teaching me this. And this is something that I struggle and challenge to do. And I really ask myself this question, is the desire of my heart, that on which my life centers, is that truly putting God first? Is that truly saying that the reveal and the response of my act of worship, yes, in my giving, but with my life, in my relationships, as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a worker, as an employee, as a student, whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. Is it really at the center of my life? Is God truly at the center? And see, so many times choosing to trust God with our finances, it can be so difficult, but honestly, I believe it is just an exercise in trusting God and putting our faith in him and putting him at the center. Because many times this is the last stronghold in our life. It's like, God, I can trust you with everything else, and I can come sing some songs to you, and I can even serve, but God, I don't know that tithe thing. I don't know. That giving and being generous, I'm just not sure. And see, God is after your heart. And see, God can't have all of you. You can't truly be living a life of that reveal and that worship back to him until he is number one in every single area and aspect of your life. Friends, God is after you. He's not after your money. He wants to know that he is the treasure of your heart. He wants to know that he is that on which your life centers. So what does that have to do with us at sitting at the table together? If it's about the reveal and the response and the motivation for our giving is not obligation, it's not guilt, it's not checking the box, it's truly an act of worship, what does that have to do for us at the table? Well, what we understand is that God has made a space for every single one of us at the table. Matter of fact, the most popular verse probably in the Bible that many of you probably learned when you were a little kid is John 3.16. Most of the room could probably recite it from memory. And it says this, but I want you to catch this a little differently today. It says, for God so loved the world that what? What was his action? God so loved the world that he what? He, 
he gave. For God so loved the world that his action that he took, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God gave the most extravagant gift that he possibly could. Why? Because of his love for you and me. And his motivation, his heart was you. For God so loved Brian. For God so loved Mark. For God so loved Caitlin. Fill in the blank. For God so loved you that what? He gave his only son. He gave and he gave extravagantly. Why? Because he wanted to create a seat for you at this table. So what is our response then in that? We read this verse last week, John 13, 34, 35. So now I give you a new command. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love that I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. See, Jesus gives us this commandment that we are to love one another. Matter of fact, I would go as far as to say that we can only love one another and create a space at this table because God first loved us. That's exactly what it says in 1 John 4.19. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we loved. Why? He loved us first. Why can we love? Why can we give? Why can we be generous and create a space at this table? Because God so loved us that he gave And now the commandment that Jesus gives to us is that we are to love one another. Matter of fact, it continues in 1 John 4, 20 to 21. It continues and it says this. Matter of fact, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes on right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The commandment we have from Christ is blunt, How I love the message translation. (laughs) Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. See, friends, in that reveal and that response, when we understand what God is and what he has done, yes, our act is to worship him. Yes, in every single area of our life, including in this series, we're talking about giving and being generous. Yes, including in that area. But see, when we understand that it doesn't stop with just simply loving God, we can't just love God and worship him and not also love those who he loves. Friends, that he doesn't just love us, those who gather in churches on Sunday morning, but that God's heart breaks for the communities that surround us, for the schools that are full of teens, for the colleges that are full of students, for the workers in the workplaces that are full of workers, the homes that are full of families, the full of individuals all around us who have yet to experience, who have yet to experience and encounter a seat at this table. When we understand it's been revealed to us who God is, our act of worship is to follow the command that he has given us as Christ followers. And I love that it says it couldn't be any more blunt. Jesus says you've got to love others. And I think you can think of no other way to be more generous, to show our love than to be generous and say, let's make a bigger table. Let's make a place for people to come and sit to experience the love of God. And I want to wrap up and conclude with this today and really let this sink in. If you don't catch anything else, get this, that your generosity will turn into someone else's miracle. 
Come on, somebody. Your generosity will turn into someone else's miracle. For God so loved the world that what he gave his son, an extravagant offering, a gift to us so that why? We can encounter and have a relationship with him. And because God loved us, now we can love. He first loved us. Because let me, guess, let me tell you, there are a lot of unlovable people out there. It's really easy to love lovable people. But here's the fact. Most people are real and they're human and we're not very lovable, right? Why? Because we make mistakes. We mess up. We're going to hurt people. But God is asking us to love unlovable people, to create a space for them at this table, to not be exclusive and say this is just a holy huddle where we get together. Friends, that is why we're tree Line Church. That we don't want to be huddled safely in the center of the forest, isolated from all the heathens out there in the world. No, we wanted to be tree line church because we wanted to be on the edge of that tree line. Why? Because at that edge of that tree line is where life stops happening. Why? Because they haven't experienced the love and the power that comes from a relationship and only through Jesus Christ. That is why we're at the edge of the tree line so that we can follow this commandment and worship God and say you were so good to me because what you have done in my life because of who you are, you've revealed yourself to me. That bus has been moved and I see your goodness and now I'm gonna respond and I'm gonna worship and I'm gonna worship and I'm gonna worship and put you first in every area of my life, including my giving because God, you love me and I'm gonna love others. I'm gonna do anything come hell or high water to make a space at this table for people who need to encounter and experience you in a real way. Friends, this is our story. This is why we do what we do. Your generosity will turn into someone else's miracle. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> I'm a little fired up, Lord. <laughs> God, reveal yourself to us. Lord, let the depths of our understanding, our revelation of who you are and what you have done for us. God, I know sometimes it can become so easy just as things go by, as life happens, to just take you for granted, to, to miss out on that reveal. It's easy to become callous and lose hope and lose face and lose value of who you really are, lose sight of what you have done for us, God. The incredible story of man coming into the world that you created a relationship with him and that we messed that up. And that, God, you could have just wiped us all out and started over, but you and your infinite love and your kindness and your grace and your mercy chose to write the story of redemption using normal, regular people like me, like the people in this room, God. God, when we understand your goodness, when it's been revealed to us, we can't help but to respond in worship. God, I pray today that every single one of us would have a paradigm shift in what giving is all about. That, God, it's not just simply checking a box. It's not just simply going through the motions. But, God, it is truly a divine act of worship. God, it is putting you first in our finances. It's, God, it's saying, because you loved me first, now I will love others. And we can show the love of others, show the love to others just like you loved us, God, to create a space for them at this table. God, help us as a church to be generous, to create a space for them at this table, to be generous with our time to serve, be generous with our finances to give. God, we thank you for what you are going to do and what you are doing for the lives who have encountered you in this first year, God. God, we thank you for those who gave and who were generous so that we could come together and encounter and experience you, Jesus, so it could be revealed to us. 
Today, while you're here and your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I wanna give you the opportunity as we conclude here. If you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, Maybe you're here today and you hear us talking about a reveal and the response and maybe you were for maybe the first time or maybe it was revealed to you but you just weren't ready to take that step. But here's what I know. Every single one of us is in need of a savior. We can't do it on our own. We can't be good enough. It's not about going to church enough. It's not about wearing the right kind of clothes. It's not about saying the right things or doing the right things. It's simply understanding that every single one of us is a mess, that we messed up, that we've sinned against God, that we are separated from him because of it. But here's the good news, that Jesus made a way, that he died a brutal death on the cross. He paid the price, paid the price for our sins, made a sacrifice of his life. But the story doesn't end there. Then he rose back from the dead third day defeating death, defeating the grave. Victorious king, so that we could have a relationship with the heavenly father. If that's you today and you're saying, Brian, maybe for the first time I needed to say yes to a relationship with him while no one is looking around, just slip your hand up at this time. Say, include me in that prayer. Awesome. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, at one time I said that prayer and I asked Christ into my life. And maybe I just need to renew that commitment to him. Maybe it's been revealed to me or maybe I just kind of forgot what that reveal was like in my response. My act of worship today is simply to say, God, I need to get my life back to following after you. I need to get my life back to putting you first. I need to take the step to put you first again in my life. If that's you today while no one's looking around, would you slip that hand up? Say, include me in that prayer. Awesome. Awesome. Put those hands down. Everyone repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision to come to Christ today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.